Hi, and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is a cross-partisan nonprofit building a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Divya, and this week, Inika, Isaiah, Madeline, Olivia, and I spoke with Zoli Hajnal, Professor of Political Science at the UC San Diego School of Global Policy and Strategy. Professor Hajnal is the author of multiple award-winning books and a respected scholar on U.S. politics and policy with a special focus on how disadvantaged populations are represented in American politics and what can be done to ensure better representation of these groups. Our conversation touched upon why people vote in such low numbers in municipal elections and what can be done to counteract that, what reforms can lead to a more equitable distribution of resources and opportunities, the record high youth voter turnout and overall voter turnout this election, and how and whether it can be sustained and what voter reforms we'd all like to see in the future. Thank you so much for listening. Hi everyone, I'm Divya Ganesan. I'm from the Bay Area, California, and I'm a co-founder of Real Talk and an engineer podcaster. Hi, I'm Inika Kodestani and I'm a high school junior from New Jersey. Um, in addition to being a podcaster, I'm also co-editor-in-chief of the Next Generation Politics blog. And I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Hi, my name is Madeline Mays, and I'm a high school sophomore from Brooklyn, New York, and I'm extremely passionate about developing a sense of community across kids, people in my generation, regardless of where they fall on the political spectrum. Hi, um, I'm Olivia. I am a senior from New York City, and in addition to being a podcaster, I am a lead civic fellow for NGP, as well as the director of outreach and engagement, so I wear many hats in the organization. And I'm really passionate about bridging partisan divides, which I think is really tied to the work you're doing on combating voter suppression and a lot of reform work. Hi, my name is Isaiah. I'm currently a senior at Benjamin Franklin High School. And uh, like Olivia, I'm also a lead civic fellow for NGP. uh, And I'm also in YVOTE. And I'm just interested to see uh, how much more work we have to do to get to our goal in terms of voter turnout and um, also the role that voter suppression plays in people's decision when they vote. Okay, and I guess I should go next. I am Zoli Heinel. I'm a professor of political science at the University of California, San Diego. Uh, And I have devoted my career and much of my life to trying to make democracy in America more even. And uh, in particular, thinking a lot about uh, racial and ethnic minority representation and the ways in which they're underrepresented and the reforms that we can uh, at least conceive of and uh, sometimes enact to, to lead to a more equitable uh, distribution of power and resources. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for joining us today. I think your presence is beyond timely. And so we're lucky to have your expertise. I think I wanna start by framing our most um, recent elections in terms of voting right as far as voter turnout, who who voted, who didn't vote, um, and where we still have to go as far as getting out the vote. Okay, um, yeah, and you know, the, the results are uh, still coming in, the figures, you know, still many are still to be tabulated, but um, in many ways, uh, 2020 was a positive election in that a lot of Americans turned out. So it looks like, you know, turnout, not only did we have record turnout, which is in some ways misleading because the population grows over time, but we also, it looks like we had uh, extremely high rates of turnout uh, in this election, which uh, for someone who just wants 
broader participation, I think, is, is a great thing. People were interested. People were, of course, stressed and worried. And that's also in part why they participated. Um, and then, in, but I would say in terms of uh, who participated and relative rates of participation, I would say, unfortunately, 2020 doesn't look uh, like it'll be that different from previous elections. So we see that uh, in many ways, the advantaged wealthy white uh, interests uh, and individuals participate at uh, much higher rates than racial and ethnic minorities um, and, and the lower class. Um, and you know, within race, we see you know, whites participating the most, blacks uh, somewhat close to whites, uh, and then uh, Hispanic and Asian American participation rates much lower. So we see some of the same inequalities, racial and class that we've seen in the past. That was really helpful framing. I guess I had never thought about it as obviously as our population is growing, that would mean a higher voter turnout rate simply because we have more people. Um, another thing that I've been hearing a lot, both in the news online and on TV is the fact that the most recent election has been polarized on educational bases. We see people who with above a certain level of education voting to one party and the others. And I know everyone here is super interested in political polarization um, with the mission of NGP. And I'm wondering, a lot of your work has connected to race and polarization. And I'm wondering, like, do you see that same pattern with race? And what is the intersection between our political polarization um, and like racial patterns in the US? Sure, I mean, I would actually say uh, that while education absolutely makes a difference, the educational divides are in some ways overstated, right? So if we look at 2020, a uh, clear majority of whites voted on one side and a clear majority of racial and ethnic minorities voted on other, depending on whose estimate you're looking at, you're looking at 80 plus percent of blacks uh, on the democratic side, 65, 70% of Latinos and Asian Americans on the democratic side. Um, so that racial gap is the, the biggest demographic gap that we have uh, in 2020 and that we typically have in American elections. Um, when you start looking at class, education and income, um, it matters. Uh, but it matters in sort of a, a subsidiary way. So if you look, for example, just at income, I, I actually don't know the numbers I don't, well from 2020, but it looks like Trump, the average Trump supporter was richer or wealthier or higher income than the average American, right? So there's a upward skew to his support. Um, on the other hand, the uh, typical, uh, typically the more educated American is uh, somewhat more likely to vote Democratic than to vote uh, Republican in 2020 and in previous elections. And then where education does seem to matter more is within the white population. So once you've taken into account race, more well-educated whites uh, are a lot more likely to support a, a, a Democrat, uh, in this case, Biden, uh, less well-educated whites, more likely to support a Republican, in this case, Trump. So. Um, and then I, I guess your question was sort of asking to what extent do race and class interact? Um, and do you see this, so in a sense, do you see the same patterns uh, across education within whites, blacks, Latinos, and Asian Americans? And, um, I, you know, I haven't seen those numbers broken down in 2020, but in past elections, you do sort of see the same thing. So more well-educated blacks, more even more likely to vote Democrat than, than other blacks, uh, and similar patterns uh, for Latinos and, and Asian Americans. Um, so 
education for all groups does seem to be moving us towards a more democratic vote, uh, in this case, an, an anti-Trump vote. And we could, of course, talk about all the reasons why we think that is the case. Uh, and there are lots of different interpretations. I find it really interesting to see uh, the voter turnout on a class basis and on these different uh, groups on, on on that kind of basis, which kind, which kinds of bring, hold on, which kind of brings me to my next question. Uh, what does the future of what does the future of voter outreach look like, and what groups do you hope to see targeted for said outreach in the future? Um, I, I well, I hope to see everybody, uh, you know, outreach to everybody. I uh, I think, you know, in a democracy, we should try to get as close to full participation as we possibly can. Um, I actually think that institutional barriers are the easiest ones to overcome. So in general, we should make voting easier. Uh, but in terms of mobilization, uh, I, you know, I, I would like obviously parties to be and, and nonprofits to be trying to mobilize um, less consistent voters. So and to if, if at all possible to equalize turnout across groups. So yes, so mobilizing lower class, lower income Americans, mobilizing racial and ethnic minorities, groups that have traditionally been less involved in the political process. Um, and as a political science scholar, I am mystified that the parties don't do more of that. Uh, we know based on these really amazing experiments that if you walk up to a person's door and you talk to them in person, their odds of participating grow uh, quite significantly. Um, and so that so we know mobilization works. We don't actually have any evidence that the billions of dollars that we spend on advertising make any difference at all or persuade anybody. So uh, in my view, we're spending billions of dollars that are likely being wasted on uh, advertising and campaigns, but, and we could be devoting much more time to mobilization that we know works. Yeah, going off of that, I do notice that even though the uh, campaigns and advertisements that seem to be very popular nowadays um, are a good idea, idea in theory, but don't seem to be so effective, um, I'm not sure that anyone is actually like watching TV as much or things like that, where is the most common for finding these um, campaign advertisements. So I'm wondering if you think that motivation within voters will just increase and um, basically revolution, I feel like it could revolutionize voting after the 2020 election, because I think that most Americans just feel have these heightened emotions as a result of the election. I'm hoping that it causes an increase in voter turnout in local elections, but um, I'm not sure if that would be the case. So I'm wondering from your expertise, if you think that that's a possibility. Uh, like you, I'm really hopeful that that's the case. So, you know, the, there clearly was more interest in this, this election than there has been in, in many past elections. It clearly has led to higher turnout than, than typical, uh, typically is the case. Uh, I am, however, skeptical that, that this will last and that, you know, be, and I'm skeptical because, you know, all the barriers that were there before are still there. Um, you know, people have to register, uh, the process is, is complicated and convoluted. Um, you only have two choices. And, and so 
and many other reasons why uh, our system sort of discourages voting. We vote on a Tuesday rather than a holiday, on and on and on and on. So the barriers are still there. Um, and those barriers affect people disproportionately. Um, they, in particular, you know, like you guys, young Americans, uh, the registration process is more difficult for you. You're, you're, you're more mobile, so you have to re-register. Uh, you, you know, you don't know where your polling place is, whereas someone who's lived there for 30 years knows exactly where it is already. Uh, so you, so as younger Americans, you're disproportionately disadvantaged, and so you're enthusiasm has to overcome all of those additional burdens. It also has to overcome the fact that uh, you guys have a lot going on in your lives. You've got school, you've got, you know, you're thinking about all sorts of things in addition to politics. Uh, and so all those reasons why are why younger Americans turn out at, you know, regularly lower rates and why they turned out at lower rates in 2020 that, uh, as well compared to other groups. Um, so, I, I'm again. I'm hopeful, but I'm 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 skeptical. You know, it's uh, we have seen in the last couple national elections slightly higher turnout. In local elections, the trend, the longer term trend, has actually been for the turnout to decline over time. Uh, so it's basically from the 1980s to well into the 2000s. Local voter turnout looks like it's been declining, um, and so um, enthusiasm and hope aside, I'm concerned about. Uh, turn out in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think your your hopefulness, but also your skepticism is very fair. I think as a young person who has seen everything that's been happening in the past few weeks, something that's very interesting is how voting has become almost this en vogue idea and action, where you see these celebrities posting on all of their platforms with the I voted sticker and the masks. And I just, I, I to your point, kind of doubt that that social media messaging and momentum can you know, be sustained for four years or can even come back the way it was in this past election. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I don't know, less of a question there, but uh, I agree with you. Yeah, definitely. Just going off of what you were just saying, Olivia, I think the, the issue is that local elections are just not as talked about. Like even for first time voters, like I was talking to some of my friends that voted for the first time, like I think, or even like just adults that have been voting, for a while, I think you just don't even recognize the names on the ballot because you're so focused on the presidential election, the Senate elections, or representatives that you, I don't, I don't think it's a failure, but I think it's just, and not like, you're just not faced with information that, of stuff that is so close and local, like it should be right in your face. And instead you, you're completely blindsided because you're just not aware of what's around you. Um, but back to my question, um, I was curious about just voter turnout in general. Um, I wouldn't really call it a cynical view, but it is a bit of a pessimistic view. And it's that voter turnout like has been at a record high this year. Um, most of us know Biden got like the most votes ever cast for a candidate, 74 million. And I'm wondering is if that's because people were kind of felt like obligated to vote because they were in such a desperate situation where you really want to vote a certain candidate out and therefore people felt motivated that way. And I think the same with, with the other candidate, like people really wanted Trump to stay in office. So I think, was it really like a desperate situation in that people felt almost forced to vote because the circumstances were so dire? Like it wasn't like a perfect democracy, it was like more sort of like a last resort for people to vote. 
Yeah, I think that's a you know a fair interpretation. Uh, people were and still are in many senses scared about uh, some really serious issues, some incredibly serious issues, right? The pandemic, the economic recession, um, for many Trump's behavior, the threat to American democracy, uh, uh, you know, the total institutional decline. All these things are huge, and they're bigger than most. Uh, issues that are on sort of the ballot or in people's minds in, in most elections. So yeah, so uh, again, I think the the, high, the higher turnout in 2020 is great. And the motivation for that higher turnout is, is unfortunately problematic and probably not sustainable. Like we do not want to be in a period of crisis uh, for the next four years or eight years or uh, through the next set of elections. We want people to vote because, you know, it's their civic duty because they think it matters. Um, yeah, we don't necessarily want people to vote because they're they're scared uh, and concerned. Just going off of that, like once we hopefully emerge out of this period uh, period of crisis, like in the next in 2024, 2028, like what do you think? Are we going to still see the same voter turnout? Are people going to still be motivated after this year that uh, they understand that voting is something that they should do like a civic duty as you were saying or is it something that's going to fall back into like this cycle of mundanity where it's just something that occurs if you want it to like without that sort of external motivation are we ever going to see rates like these again yeah i mean it's hard to know um i suspect that there'll be some decline yeah again i'm i'm hopeful in the sense that i think at least some element of the crisis will go away you know we have what looks like it could be a very effective vaccine that you know presumably would be widely distributed by uh, sometime next year, and so should uh, the pandemic should be less of an issue in in subsequent elections. Um, uh, having uh, said that, um, you know other issues will endure. America has great inequality, and there's very little sign that inequality is, is economic inequality is declining. Um, we also have uh, really severe partisan polarization. Um, and that is a, another big driver of uh, participation. So those who feel strongly about their party or who feel strongly negatively about the other party are much more likely to participate and, and turn out. Uh, and so, uh, I, and I don't see, despite even Biden's uh, best efforts, I'm skeptical that that, that level of polarization will diminish any time in the near future. And so, you know, I think that's another negative reason for high turnout, but I expect that to be driving uh, relatively high turnout for some number of elections going forward. Yeah, I mean, much to our chagrin, but it is a reality. Um, and I wanted to follow up on something you said prior about local elections, right, which are extremely important and perhaps impact our everyday lives um, as much as the candidates we voted for um, on November 3rd or earlier, if people voted early, um, and wanted to phrase um, my question in the same title as your New York Times piece um, from 2018, which was fantastic. So to plug some of your work, but why do we think no one votes in local elections? And then what reforms can we put in place to kind of ensure that more people do it, or at least what messages can we proliferate to make people feel it is as important as it is? Okay. Uh, well, finally, we're getting the good stuff, my research. No. Um, thank you for asking about it. Uh, yeah. So, you know, why does no one vote in local elections? Because it's, uh, 
for some of the reasons that were mentioned already, you know, it's it the media is not talking about it as much. It seems a little bit more distance, even distant, even though it's obviously much closer to us. Um, we sort of know less about it. But you know, one of the big reasons is we have designed our local elections uh, to limit participation. So the progressive movement uh, in the early part of the last century um, was concerned about uh, immigrants and uneducated voters participating in local elections. And they thought the best way to uh, reduce their participation and perhaps uh, increase their own control over uh, local elections was to decouple local elections from statewide and national elections. So they moved the dates of local elections to uh, some random day in some random month and some random year. And what that means is if you want to vote in a local election, you specifically have to learn what the date of the local election is because it's not necessarily a consistent date and it's different uh, in different places. You have to learn what your polling place is for that election, and then you have to go through and vote specifically for that local election. And that can you can mean that can mean voting on one day in a city council race, on a different day in a school board uh, race, and on a different day altogether for a special district election. Um, so we're we're adding enormously to the burden of the the individual who wants to vote in a city or local election uh, and we're doing so actually on purpose and we're doing so on purpose to skew it in one direction um, and so the one reform idea is to undo what uh, was done in the last early part of the last century and and shift the timing of local elections to the same day as national elections um, and fortunately we have a ton of data on this several States have mandated shifts. Lots of cities have shifted. Uh, Los Angeles, for example, uh, voted uh, on cycle. So same day as the presidential election on November 3rd. Their last local election voter turnout was 20% of eligible voters. Um, uh, the earlier reports are that turnout increased 400% for local elections in, in uh, Los Angeles. And that's Somewhere between 100%, 200%, 300%, 400% increase in turnout is uh, what you get. So if you, and at this point in time, about 70% of all local elections are held off cycle. So like a very ballpark figure is we could get 25 million more voters to the polls each year by switching to uh, on cycle elections. Um, the and of course, not of course, but but what what makes this even more attractive, at least for me, and I think for many Americans, is it not only increases turnout, but it broadens turnout. So, for you guys interested in younger people participating, um, you know, in these off-cycle uh, mayoral, city council uh, type elections, uh, younger voters participate at extraordinarily low rates. Uh, Americans over the age of 65 absolutely dominate these elections. Um, but if you switch to on-cycle elections, we don't get rid of the entire age skew, but we get rid of most of the age skew. Um, and so, uh, yeah, if you think that younger Americans have something to say uh, and you care about what's going on in local democracy, uh, then, then that's a reform that that's should be really important to you. So now I'm thinking about the flip side of Olivia's question, which is, You've obviously 
told us that there's an age skew in local elections. And I've served on my local youth council for the last two or three years. And like, I've been to those city council meetings. Like most of them are just about like traffic, things that seem kind of more mundane. And I'm wondering, what would you tell, like one element is getting youth to the polls and the other element is like getting youth engaged and excited to be voting in local elections. What would you say to youth to get them excited about that? Like, what are the types of topics that would make them feel like this is important? I think that's a, that's a great question. And, I, you know, the, I'm not sure I have a great answer, but, you know, what you said is that when you go to these local council meetings and uh, you, you hear the media talk about local elections, they're not talking about issues that are important to you guys. And they're not doing that because you're not involved and your votes, you know, your your voices don't matter because you're not voting or many of you are not voting, right? So um, if there's other things that you really care about that are not being talked about, the, the best way to, for, to get politicians to pay heed to those is to actually participate, right? So pick your issue, whatever, whatever that may be. And if you think there are lots of uh, younger Americans who also believe that issue to be important then say, you know, this is what's being ignored. Nobody talks about this. If we were involved, they'd have to talk about it. They'd have to be responsive to us. Um, and so uh, the, your participation leads to local politics being more interesting. I mean, more, more broadly, I would say like the biggest power we have in a democracy is to ignore issues or interests, right? So non-decisions, uh, are fundamentally important. What are we ignoring? What are we not talking about? And, um, you know, be it say gay rights before the 1980s or any number of issues, it requires people who are not part of the power to be active, to be involved, uh, to be boisterous, to protest, and not just vote, to protest, raise issues, uh, and then you know, that doesn't mean that those issues will win out, but it means that we'll start to discuss discuss them. And and there and if you know those interest, the people for who want those issues and care about those issues participate, they may actually win out, and we may be may may radically change policy at the local level or the national level, uh, regardless. So now I have the question: um, In what ways do you believe the media can influence voter education as well as widespread voter suppression? Um, yeah, the role of the media, there's uh, any number of different factors. Uh, you know, do they provide basic information or not? Um, you know, the, so much of the media coverage is horse race. So who's winning the election? Very little of the coverage uh, is about issues and issues are probably what should be driving our, our vote choices. So I'd love to see, I, I, have, I, I don't think I have concrete ideas for how to reform the, the media, but certainly having the media talk about information um, um, and policy more, provide more information. Uh, and then likewise, all the mis misinformation that's going on. Uh, you know, I think the media's, many parts of the media are trying to correct misinformation more. And, you know, the, the spread of information just went crazy and, and it's just more uh, common than it has been in the past. So the media is playing catch up on that, but, you know, uh, certainly seeing more of that. Um, and then the, you know, one of the big problems with the media is the echo chambers that many of us live in, right? So uh, if we're a conservative, we're very likely to be tuning into Fox um, and online, we're very likely to be 
looking at sites and, and podcasts and, and, and any number of places where our own views are just being uh, put forward back at us. Um, and then when we start looking at other forms of social media and, and the Googles and the Facebooks, and it looks like what, you know, they are, they're trying to get more clicks and what they're doing is, is putting forward more and more extreme salacious stuff um, that uh, gets more and more clicks. And so that, that may be making us not just hearing what we want to hear, but making us even more extreme than we would otherwise be. So there's um, providing information in general, and then there's trying to match up and get cross information uh, to those who aren't hearing it, right? So for liberals to hear what conservatives are saying, I think it's important for conservatives to hear what liberals are saying is important. Um, how we get there, again, uh, I have, uh, I would say absolutely no clue. Oh, that's not something I've, I've particularly studied, but it is, I think, increasingly a, a, a major problem uh, for our democracy, for polarization, and for lots of other reasons. So as we, I think we should start closing now, but um, just like you were mentioning before, you had like ideas for reform and obviously our voting system is currently pretty flawed. So um, just could you like enlighten us and how we could possibly improve our systems, especially for us since we'll be voting soon if we haven't started that already? Sure, yeah, I mean, you know, anything along the lines of making voting easier, so automatic registration, right? So when you get your driver's license, you're automatically registered, for example, I think uh, more states could do that. Um, you know, uh, I don't think it's gonna happen, but vote on a, a weekend uh, is likely to increase turnout and, and is probably a good thing. Um, you know, I don't think I would go so far as having compulsory voting, but, but people certainly talk about that. Uh, you know, and then the mobilization of voters, uh, so the, the nonprofits, you know, the burden might be on them, but to, to mobilize more voters, I think would be a great thing. And then there are a series of reforms to our democracy that uh, won't happen, but I'd like to see happen, right? So the biggest uh, sort of malapportionment uh, or maybe the biggest issue with American democracy is, is the Senate, right? So um, a state like Wyoming with roughly a million people has the exact same power in the Senate as a state like California with 40 some million people, right? So uh, it's, you know, it's not one person, one vote uh, at all in that sense. Um, and that, you know, there's a historical compromise that we made for this. And I think that compromise is no longer relevant. And I'd love to see uh, the, the states and the Senate apportioned uh, equally in some sense. Um, it also, for me, someone who studies race, that's a really important reform in the sense that um, racial and ethnic minorities uh, tend to be concentrated in the larger states and tend to have less influence. Um, it's also a partisan issue. Democrats uh, have much less power than they should in the Senate based on their share of the population uh, overall. Uh, so it, it leads to all these unequal and balanced outcomes. Um, and I'd like to see it changed, and I know it won't be changed anytime soon, if ever. That's all for today, friends. I'm editor Sarita Adabala signing off for all of us at Next Generation Politics. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org to find out more about our work. 
and please recommend us to your civic-minded friends, or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded. Thanks for listening.